Who's ready for a good sermon? Yeah, it's been easy to preach through Peter. I don't know how I never, I've been doing this 30 years. I never even thought of preaching through Peter. That's all I do is preach through books. Peter writes, it's like he wrote his book for a guy who likes to preach through books because he has these little one and two paragraph segments that are all confined and they just make, they just work perfectly for sermons. And so I may have to go to Second Peter when we're done with First Peter, I don't know. But I hope you're enjoying it as much as I have. Peter's, he digs down deep in stuff. He hits us where we live and uh, today is no different. And so we're going to be in, in 1 Peter today, um, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. And um, in the section that we're going to look at today, um, Peter is going to continue, and if you've been here, you understand this, continue with his writing about how we as Christians live differently than how we used to live, that Jesus makes a difference in our lives, we change And we live, therefore, differently than many other people in the world around us who don't know Jesus and don't then march to his beat in their lives. So we feel like, we've been saying this, we feel like we're square pegs in a round hole. We just don't fit. And I'm hoping what you're figuring out, as I'm trying to say this over and over, is that hopefully pretty soon you're going to be happy with the reality that you don't fit. You're finally going, oh, wait a minute, where I used to wrestle, like, I just don't fit. It was a bad thing. You're going, I don't fit. Praise the Lord, I don't fit in this messed up world, that I'm part of a different kingdom. I have a different king, King Jesus, and his kingdom works different, and I'm glad I don't fit in this muck and mire of the world today. That's what we're getting from, from Peter. And so the text today follows, is kind of following on the, on the footsteps of, of what we looked at a few weeks ago, where Peter said this, it was kind of a summation statement, he said in, in verse 16, um, be holy as I am holy. And he was talking, what did that look like to be holy? And we talked about what it didn't look like, what it does look like. And he's been explaining kind of what's it look like to live a holy life. And, and last, not last week, but the week before, um, because last week Evan preached. Evan, good job. You did a, thanks for preaching last Sunday. It was last, last Sunday here on staff, but uh, you're heading off tomorrow or this week to, back to North Central. But, but before that, week before that, we looked at how do we live this holy life, and it affects how, how we live, and we found that, that living out our holy lives was about, it started with having a right understanding of who God is. And that we said that a lot of people, especially if we just take our theology from, from kind of modern music, we have one-sided theology, one-sided picture of God. We just think God is this great God who's chasing after me, and, and that's true. But we said Peter showed us that was incomplete that we also understand that God is our loving Father and that one day we will stand before him and give an account for our deeds. And we talked about how those two things aren't mutually exclusive, even though some people would think they are, but they're, they're not mutually exclusive. That he loves us and we're going to give an account before him for everything we've done in our lives. And so we saw in that text that understanding that word picture would, would motivate us in life. It would change how we live. Well, today... Peter is going to deal with another expression of how we live out this holy life, how, we, how this should motivate us to living out in a, in a way that's Christ-honoring as we, as, we saw, as we walk with Jesus. So what I want to do today is I'm going to read our text in a minute, and then I want to do is explain our structure. And I've had to do this a bit with Peter, and I usually don't probably say that, but I've had to do it because if you don't notice how he's, how he's structuring what he's saying, you could misunderstand or miss the point that he's trying to make. Because I think as we look at this structure, um, we're going to see kind of clearly what he's doing, and then we're going to come after we look at the structure to the main point 
um, in the middle. So look at your Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. And I'm going to read today out of a different translation. I'm going to read it out of the, the New Living Translation because I just think it, it makes it clearer than I usually use the NAS, but I'm going to use that in the New Living today in case you're following going, well, that's not what you normally read from. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life which will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like the flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. All right, let's look at the structure. Notice, first of all, Peter writes about our life of coming to Jesus. The very first line, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So clearly here he is writing about hearing the truth of the gospel. Matter of fact, later in the, in the text, he says, you heard the truth from the word of God, which is the good news. So he's saying, you heard the truth of the gospel, that truth that says that God himself, Jesus, has come as a man to reveal the reality of God to mankind and to give his life in our place as payment for our sins so that we can live in Christ. And that what he then did on the cross, the gospel, what he did on the cross is he cleansed us from sins and he imparted to us his righteousness. That when we receive that truth, we respond to that truth. He says in the first line here that we are cleansed from our sins. So in this text, Peter starts talking about our life as Christians, being cleansed from our sins, right? See that? Now look down at verse 23. In verse 23, he does the exact same thing. Different words, but he does the same thing. He says, for you have been what? Born again. You have been born again. The same thing as cleansed from your sins, saved, born again, new life, all different word pictures of the same thing. For you've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Here Peter again writes about a believer's new life as a Christian, about us being born again. And here, Peter points out something different about it, though. He points out the eternal nature of our salvation, that our salvation in Jesus, that when we come to Christ and been born again, that that lasts forever. He says that it lasts forever because why? It comes from the eternal living Word of God. And next week, we're going to talk about the eternal living Word of God. That's going to be a focus of next week's sermon. But he said it's forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. He says that coming to salvation today isn't just about today, but that it extends into all of eternity, just like God and his word extend into all eternity. That in Christ, we are part of something eternal. That God's word that tells us the gospel message, as we find the gospel message in God's word, with this message of the good news of salvation through Jesus, that that word is eternal. It's just not some idea dreamed up by a guy with a long beard and a robe. That's, this is more than that. God's word isn't just some, some guy's idea who penned it like other holy books are that was just drummed up, by, thought up by some guy in a long robe and a beard. No, it's all part of God's eternal plan. And Peter emphasizes that the eternal nature of salvation that comes from the eternal word of God, by the, by, he does this by quoting Isaiah the prophet, who does something. He compares the word of God to the span of a person's life. Look at that. Look at verses 24 and 25. This is a quote from Isaiah. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
And he says our lives, our physical lives, are as temporary as a flower in a field. Here one day, gone the next. But when we are saved by coming to life in Jesus, as explained through the eternal words he's saying, then we have life that lasts forever. He says it's not going to soon end. It goes on and on and on, just like the word of God lasts forever. So let's remember the structure here. Verse 22, the beginning. He says, when you obeyed the truth of the gospel, your sins were forgiven. He's talking about your new life in Christ. Verses 23 to 25, your new life is eternal. New life, right? And there, those are the bookends. We'll put it this way, turn it this way. Those are the bookends to what Peter puts in the middle. And look what he puts in the middle. He says, so now, or therefore, he could say, or in light of your salvation. He says, so now, you're saved. So now, what? So now what? So now, love. Look at verse 22. So now, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply deeply with all of your hearts. In light of your eternal salvation, which he's talking about, the book ends, to live the Christian life, the way to live the holy life that verse 16 talked about, which is kind of the, remember we said what was set the tone for the verses to follow, is that we love. Love, my friends, is the truest expression of being born again. Love is the true expression of having your sins cleaned, cleansed when you came to obey the truth of the gospel. When I find out I am saved in Jesus and I receive his love, the natural reaction is to love in return. How do we live a holy life? Like you said in verse 16, is it about having a a list of do's and don'ts? No. He's saying, how do you live a holy life? That we love each other. Now let's remember something here. Let's remember who Paul is writing to in this letter. He is writing to mistreated Christians. We've been saying that all along. They were so mistreated for following Jesus that they were scattered to other countries where they were living. Remember we said in the very first week, they were living as chosen aliens. He said chosen by God, but alien from the rest of the people of the world around them. So how does Peter tell them to react to their mistreatment? How does Peter tell them to live a holy life like God is holy in the midst of their mistreatment? He says, love people in response to their hate. That's what he's writing about here. Love them in response to their heart. That's living different than those around you. And I think it's interesting here that Peter writes particularly about loving a specific group of people. Loving one another. In other words, loving other Christians. He doesn't here deal with what Jesus did many times When he said to not only love our own, but also even love others and love our enemies, and that's all true, you know, Peter here rather just talks about loving other Christians. And maybe that's because in their current state of mistreatment and uncertainty and discomfort, they were not doing so well at loving each other, at loving one another. Surely they knew Jesus' teaching to love their neighbor as themselves, which even included their enemies. But maybe the pressure is being turned up against them and they were stressed. We know they were. They were on the edge and we know they were. And they were maybe just being unloving toward each other. So Peter reminds them that in a difficult times to remember that to truly love those in your church family, those in your family, 
is to live a holy life, the kind of God-honoring life, the greatest expression of your salvation. And I look at this here and I think, Peter, you are so honest and insightful. Because I think we can all remember times when life has been difficult, where money was tight or money is tight right now, where relationships were strained or relationships are strained right now, where people were treating you unfairly or saying wrong things about you or lying about you or mistreating you. We can all remember those times. And we, during those times, we interact with strangers and people who are loosely connected with us with a measure of civility and kindness. You know what I mean. The co-workers and the guy at the grocery store, you act in a, a kind and a civil manner towards them, even though you're in the midst of the storm. But then you get home. Right? And you take off your shoes and you take off your mask. Right? You take off your mask, that kind and civil facade that you've been wearing with all the other people in the time of stress. And you tend to be ruder and shorter and crabbier. You respond in ways and say things to those that are closest to you that, that you would never say to even a total stranger in the grocery store. And friends, I think this is what Peter is getting at here. Our tendency, when under pressure, to drop our guard and treat those we are the closest with with shortness and rudeness and unlovingness. And I think we all do that at times, and I surely know I have countless times. So Peter here sandwiches in between two comments about our new life in Christ. In between these, you have a new life, you have a new life, and instruction to love others well as the truest expression of our Christian lives. The truest way to say that you are really living for God and living a whole life is not how many Bible verses you can quote. It's not. It's how you love other people. And that's what Peter's getting at here. Especially, he's saying, when you're under pressure. Because we've got to put it in context of the whole book. These people are living under great pressure. He's saying, how do you act towards one another during that time? The greatest expression of Christian love is to, of, of Christian maturity and Christian growth and Christian reality is to love in those times. And friends, that's exactly what he writes about here in this in-between section. Loving those closest to us well. Look here, he describes how we should love others, other Christians primarily, those closest to you primarily, he says in three specific ways. He says with sincere love, like brothers and sisters, and deeply with all of your heart. So let's take these out of order because some of you may be having a question in your mind that's been happening for the last 10 minutes and I let you live in dissonance till now. If you're a Bible person, you're going, but that's, how do you, you're making assumptions that aren't real there. No. The assumptions I made are real. I'm going to show you right here. Let's take them out of order. You could say this. Mark, why are you saying that Peter is writing primarily about loving those closest to you who are brothers and sisters in Christ? Why are you saying that? Because he is writing about how we are to love those, it says here in the context, who are our brothers and sisters. The NAS says this, how you love your brethren. Those other people, he's specific here. Those other people who are Christians in your, in your sphere of influence. That's what he's talking about here. He's being specific. And Peter says, well, look at this, that you loving them and loving them well is not an option. Here's what, here's what people don't like about Peter. Remember Peter, who's the guy? Ready, fire, aim. Peter, he doesn't pull punches. He just tells you 
how we're supposed to do it. Peter says it's not an option to love those around us who are brothers and sisters well. What's he say? He says, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. You must. Underline that in your Bible. It's in mine. You must. That's a strong statement. Let's think about what that implies. We must love our brothers and sisters well. First of all, what's that imply? It implies that our brothers and sisters in Christ were family. That when we gather here at Portview, we're not just a bunch of strangers who chose to come to the same building at the same time. You know, that's not what we are. You might sometimes think that way, but that's not really the truth. No, according to Scripture, we are family. That we are bound together. You know why? We have the same dad. You know, you can have a, what, a brother from another mother because we all have the same father. That's who we are as Christians. We have the same heavenly father. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have the same father. We are family. And there's an old saying, blood is thicker than water. What's that mean? It means that the blood bond of family is more important than other things that bind people together in, world, in, in life. So families love each other. They accept each other. They care for each other. They support each other. They forgive each other. Why? Because we're family. It's not an option just to write them off. They're family. So do me a favor. Look around. Look around the room. Come on. You can turn your head in church. I know it's hard for some of you. You were raised like me in a denominational church. If you turned your head, your dad smacked you. You can turn your head. Look around. Lightning's not going to strike you. This is your family. That's what Scripture's teaching. This is your family. The kingdom of God. This is your family. And, and Peter says we must love one another well. We must be here for each other. And I'd say this. Especially during difficult times. Especially during difficult times. You know, we have a family this week, the Messers, who's, you know, we were all praying for their son-in-law, Chris, and he died of COVID this week. He passed away three weeks on a ventilator. He passed away. I know most of you all know that down in Missouri. They're reeling. We need to reach out to them. We have, and you know, there's not a lot you can do right now, but there will be times in the future. We need to love those people well. We're family. You can't just say, I have an option on whether I do this thing or not. We're family. You don't, when it happens to your family, you take note. You can say, well, that's somebody else's family. No, this is our family. That's the point he's trying to make here. You looked around. This is your family. Peter says, we must love one another well, especially in difficult times. It implies that. We're family. What else does it imply? It implies that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're equals. What does I mean? We have a family with one father and many children, many kids. That means everyone matters. If you've got a passel of kids in your house, you know, and uh, even if you have a couple kids in your house, guess what? Sometimes one's easier to love than another one. But you still love them all. You don't write one off. You don't say, well, just forget about that one. You love them. You got the uncle. You might be the uncle or the aunt or the cousin. You might be that person. If you can't name who it is in your family, you might be it. People still invite you for Christmas. We all matter. 
There are no second-class family members in the kingdom of God. Everyone has equal value. Everyone is equally important and equally in need of love and prayer and support and kindness and grace and forgiveness. Every one of us. We must never look at any other brother or sister in Christ as if they are less important or less loved or less valuable than anyone else. Amen? Amen. Now let's move on. What else did Peter Peter describe it? How we should love well. How should we love each other well? He says this. You should have sincere love. What's that mean? I think it simply means this. It means not phony. It means honest love. Sincerity is being sincere is being honest. So how do we have sincere love for another person, brother and sister in Christ, especially if they're maybe difficult to have, they're difficult to love easily. How do we do that without being fake? Well, I think it's by owning what we just said about being family and being equal. It's by having a right understanding of who people are. That they are family and they are equal. That if we really see someone as our family and as our equal in the family of God, needing a Savior just like we do and needing forgiveness just like we do and needing compassion just like we do, being made in the image of God just like we are, then we can't help but to love them sincerely and honestly because God loves them and God's love is in us and we would reciprocate that way. We see their value as God's very own and we love what God loves. Right? But there's one more way that Peter says that we should, we should love well. He says this, just tell, describes it as loving deeply with all our hearts. Again, let's remember, this is an instruction from Peter. It's, it's, it's not a suggestion. He says, you must do it. And this is, this is boots on the ground stuff right here. Must do it. We must love others deeply with all of our heart. And you think, what must that speak of? What is Peter actually saying? Well, I think it speaks of this. Intentionality and commitment. And this is why I say that. Because it can't speak of feelings. Because I can't command you. I can't tell you you have to feel a certain way. Suzanne gets upset with me. I say, you shouldn't feel upset with me. She says, but you're yelling when you're talking. I said, this is just how I talk. You know this is how I talk. Everybody knows this is how I talk. You're yelling. No, I'm not. Stop feeling like that. Does that work? Does that make it better? No. Does it work, Suzanne? Doesn't work. He can't be speaking of feelings here. When he says that we should love each other deeply and sincerely, you know, we, it can't be saying you, it's a feeling you have, but I can't because I can't demand, I can't command feelings. Rather to, rather to love deeply and with all our hearts speaks about taking it seriously, doing it on purpose, being committed to loving other people well. Ask yourself a question. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I'm going to ask yourself if, you, if this is the way you approach things. And if not, I'm going to challenge you to start. Did you walk into Portview today asking God to help you love people well? Did you? No, don't raise your hands or anything. Here's the truth. Now, I don't have this thing figured out yet, but we pray every morning. We pretty much pray almost every morning, unless I get up at four in the morning to go fishing or something. Then you just tell me I'm foolish and <laughs> you roll over. But we pray almost every day. And one of the things we pray for This morning, we prayed for it. Help us to love people well when we go to church today. It's not natural. It's not easy. 
Sometimes people can be hard to love. And we pray and we ask God every week, help us to love people well today. You could do that. You know what it would change in the, ch- in the function of this church and the culture of your life? If every one of us just before, maybe you put a sign outside the front door, say, stop, do not enter. Unless you said, Lord, help me to love the people in this church well this morning. Think how that would change things. Did you walk into Portview today looking for who you could love well? I walked up, I don't want to embarrass him, I walked and talked to Dave Brunkle this morning. Because he went, where's Dave? Are you in here somewhere? I so you're right here somewhere. You, uh, he sat back in the corner by himself, which is unusual. I'm not trying to embarrass Dave, but I, he was sat back in the corner. There he is way back there. I'm trying to find you. You're supposed to be over here, Dave. <laughs> you sat in the wrong seat. Um, and I went back there, and I was going to get there before somebody else came over by him, which is great. But I said, you're sitting by yourself today. And he made some joke about, yeah, nobody came by. I said, that's not true. You sat here by yourself. You, you chose to sit here. What's going on? And we talked about some couple things of life. He said, it's a simple thing. Here's the deal. Look for someone that no one's loving. Now, they may say this. He could have said, Mark, I really want to be alone. Just get out of here. And I would have said, cool. You can say that to somebody. But look who you could look for someone to love. When you see the, 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 the family walking in and they're going like this, and they're walking around, they don't know anything. And you're with your group of friends, and they're really cool friends. You guys got good friends here. You know what? Go, hey, I'll be right back. You know, a couple weeks ago, a new family walked in the door and did that. And you know who beat me to them? Dale. Dale beat me to them. Dale was there first, and he was talking about the church. Brand new family, never been here. Dale, he was looking for somebody. And he said, how can I love them well? Dale went, welcome to the church. And I went and talked to him. Imagine how that would be different if all of us, we walked in and we said, Lord, help me today to see who can I love well today. Maybe it's a matter of saying, hey, want to go for lunch after church? There's a thousand ways we could work it out. But man, we're family. And he's inviting us to love each other well, but he says it's on purpose. It takes intentionality. It takes commitment. Friends, that's what Peter is getting at here. You and me having a commitment to loving others well, actually putting action to our intentions. And what's he saying here? That's one of the ways we express that we're living holy lives like God is holy. Because who in this universe has ever reached out and loved people better than God? No one. You want to know how to be like God? I don't think it's about smoking cigarettes being holy. I don't think so. I think it's about loving like God loves. Be holy as I am holy. Act like God acts. How does God act? He intentionally reaches out and loves people. And friends, it's especially hard. I don't know what's, you know, we've just come through a crazy year. You know that, you, know, you also all know this, you know, health, um, mental health issues are through the roof. People are struggling. Um, mental health facilities are overwhelmed. It looks like we're having another surge of COVID. It's, you know, like somebody just told me this morning, Mitch, Florida had the largest gain in one day of any day in the entire, um, since things started last March. You know, and it's ramping up everywhere. Every school principal is going, oh, no. Here's the truth. I went out and got the, got the vaccine. You know why I got the vaccine? I'm not really that afraid of COVID. I'm not saying you shouldn't respect it, because I do. 
but I, I don't want to have to be shut down church every time I'm exposed to somebody. So I don't know what's going to happen. I know this. I don't live in fear of it. Don't live in fear of it at all. But here's, but here's the deal. In this time of, we might be going to another time of turbulence. I pray to God we're not. <laughs> we are all are hoping we don't, right? But in times especially of stress, we have to love each other well. How timely. How do we love each other well? Well, we do it intentionally. We do it with commitment. We say, we look for it. We pray that God will open up our hearts. Right? That's holy living. So look, has the pressure of everyday life been causing you to not love well? I think that's what's going on in this context. To not love well. Maybe taking off your mask, you're kind to the grocer, but you're not so kind to the people in church or your family at home, those closest to you. And say, God, I want to I live a holy life. It's a life of love. God, love through me. And I'm going to commit to it. I think that, my friends, is what Peter's getting at today. That makes sense? Pray with me this morning. Father, help us to love more like Jesus. Jesus, we know this. You came into our world and you came to, um, we understand, to give your life for our life. But you also came to reveal perfect human living to us. You are the perfect human. 100% God, 100% man. I know God, I can't get my head around how that's possible, but your word says it is, and I believe it. And so you are the perfect human, our model. We want to know what it's like to be a, a godly person. We look at you. And what we see is that, man, what you loved. You surely model this idea of, of in stress, loving. They nailed you to a cross. And while you're hanging there, and I can't even imagine the agony, you looked and you said, you looked to heaven and you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. <sighs> Give us some of your heart. Help our hearts to be conformed to that image of loving, especially in hard times. Lord, I know this. This can affect our home lives. This will affect our home lives. This will affect how we treat our children. It will affect how we treat our spouses. It will affect how we treat our people in church. And I ask God, so ingrain this in our souls that we have another growth in Christian maturity. We, we, we grow a little bit more as this becomes our very soul and nature. Father, I ask that, Lord, you would help us to become the kind of people you want us to be because, Lord, this world is not getting less complicated. It's getting more complicated. And I think more than ever, you want Portview Church and every good church, every church that knows you, to be shining like lights in the darkness, being different, not fitting in, but not fitting in in a better way, not because we're opposed to things, but because we love amazingly. Lord, you said in your word, the way the world would know that we're your disciples is by our love one for another. Help that love to just blossom in this place. That was our 
heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I don't know if this applies to anybody, but love compels me to do it. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You've not yet come to the place of saying, I need you in my life, Jesus. You've just heard that little, that little kind of snippet of the gospel that I explained today that, that the gospel message is that, that, that we're lost without Jesus. We're stuck in our sin and that Jesus came to this earth to reveal the loving reality of God because he is God. But as God, he then came and he died in your place. He said, I will take all your sin upon himself. And he did that. It says he bore it on the cross. And when he died... He said that sin brought death and he died in that place. Sin brought death, but what Jesus rose from the dead, he broke that curse of death because he didn't just die on the cross, he rose from the dead. And he reversed that curse, that sin would bring death. And instead he, he turned death around and he said, now death does not hold us. And he says, I'll give you new life when you're in me. Eternal life as we read this morning. And if you're here today, and you've never begun to experience this new life in Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus. You're watching online or you're here in the sanctuary and you're saying, I need Jesus in my life. I need a fresh start. I need my sins forgiven. I want to begin a life with Christ. If that's you, I want you to do something between you, me, and God. No one else, because people aren't looking around. They're just respecting you right now and being private. You say, Pastor Mark, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I want you to raise your hand up nice and high. And when I see it, I'm going to tell you to put it back down. Okay. Over on this side, but a sound booth, you can put your hands down. In the middle. Over to the right. You're saying, I want to ask Jesus in my life. I'm going to invite all of us to pray this morning because for those that have raised their hands today, we're going to join with them. We're going to help them pray. We're going to lead them in prayer. If you raise your hands, I want you to say yes. I want you to pray this prayer along with our whole church family. Nothing magical about the words. We're just talking to God. Dear Lord, I need you today. And so today, I come to you with all my brokenness, all my sin, all my problems. I'm not hiding it anymore. And today, I ask you just to accept me as I am. Forgive me of my past. Wipe away my sin. And make me brand new. And on this day, I give my life to you, dear Jesus. And I ask you to lead me and guide me of my life. So on this day, I give my life to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible tells us that first of all, you didn't do it on your own. You did it because the Spirit of God pulled you to that moment. He drew you. It says no man can come unless the Father, to the Son, unless the Father draws him. So he pulls you. It also tells us this, that, that if you say yes to Jesus, that, that there's a party in heaven. It says the angels in heaven celebrate more over one who returns to the Lord than 99 who are already there. 
And so we know that literally in the spiritual realm, angels are celebrating right now because you said yes to Jesus. And here's what I always ask everybody to do, that when they say yes to Jesus for the first time or they're coming back, they've drifted and they're coming back, do this. Before you go to bed tonight, tell somebody that you know that follows Jesus, tell somebody that today you ask Christ into your life. Because it helps them help you. It helps them, number one, it cements it in your life. But number two, they, they then know, okay, you said yes. And they want to then come out of love. They want to come alongside and help you go along. If you don't have a church family, you're welcome to be part of our family. We'd love to try to help you. Do all we can to help you grow in your walk with Jesus. It's a great day, isn't it, friends? If you've given your life to, to Jesus, you need to celebrate. For the rest of us, we need to celebrate because people, people are saying yes to Jesus. Amen, church? Let's stand together. Let's pray the great Aaronic blessing over you this morning from the, from the priest Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful day in Christ. If you would like prayer, there will be people here to pray with you.